good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta thanking you for being with me. I want to come back to the question of uh, religious experience. Last segment, about an hour ago now, first segment of the last hour, I talked about uh, the memoir of Ernst Shackleton, the uh, Antarctic explorer uh, who commanded the endurance and had to leave. Well, the endurance is two two miles below in the uh, Antarctic waters, and it's been discovered in the last week. So we were talking about Shackleton. And, and while I like to point out that Shackleton was a great man, he was knighted, uh, but he was not canonized and would never have been considered for canonization. Um, he was, however, a man who, in his own experience, testified to a transcendental force in his life. Uh, and he talked about it in particular during one of the last legs of that uh, journey associated with the endurance, where he and uh, two other uh, men on the crew uh, had to escape after, towards the end of two years of the of the trial they had, uh, they ran into trouble almost every step of the way. As they were trying to scale uh, this mountain, the three of them actually felt there was a fourth presence, a fourth person among them. And Shackleton actually goes and writes about this in his memoir. doesn't give a lot of time to it, but felt obligated to uh, refer to this fourth uh, presence. I think, too, of Admiral Perry in this regard. These are not men that you immediately say to yourself, these are, gonna, these are men who have spiritual experiences, right? Um, but Admiral Perry used to talk about something he called the harmony, the harmony that he would become aware of, referring again to some kind of intelligent, orderly presence in creation. Um, I, li- I like these stories. I mean, I, obviously I like explicit Christian testimony stories, too. I share my own. But I am always interested in the religious experience, even of fallen humanity, uh, because we're made for God. And I keep coming back to this. You hear people talk about, oh, atheism is is man's natural state. It's not. Uh, man's natural state is not atheistic. Man's natural state has a religious dimension to it, a transcendental dimension to it. There's, there's, all, there's a sense that there's something greater than ourselves or someone greater than ourselves, and there's us, right? Um, in, in fact, I mentioned this in the book Moments of Grace, uh, where I talk about the what, what when you look at these experiences that are had by well, let me, in fact, let me just quickly go over a list. I mean, if you go over, you look over the biographies of, of great men and women throughout history, you know, whether you're talking about Henry Ford or Rachel Carlson, Carson, or if you're talking about Duke Ellington or Beethoven, you talk about George W. Bush or Al Gore, you talk about Maria Montessori or Mickey Mantle, uh, Oprah Winfrey or Leo Tolstoy, they all end up, Condoleezza Rice or Malcolm X, they all have a, a lively sense not a perpetual sense, but they've had a lively sense at one time or another that they were not alone uh, in this universe. 
And you then, of course, it's only natural to kind of collect these stories and ask yourself, well, what do they have in common? So if you look at, um, uh, say, say, say the, the great medieval Jewish philosopher Moses Maimonides, he talks about the king in the interior rooms of the palace. Uh, take another Jewish thinker, Martin Buber, uh, who talks about our sense of thou, the other, uh, but not just the other, the other to whom we are uh, morally obligated, the other to whom we bend a knee. Or Brother Lawrence in his practice of the presence of God, or, or you know, Bill W., uh, from 12-step fame and Alcoholics Anonymous, his idea of the flash of divine light, or, or Blaise Pascal, the brilliant uh, mathematician who uh, writes about his night of fire. Uh, you go down this list, and St. Faustina's uh, Christ of the Divine Mercy, right? Uh, and what what is the connection between uh, all of these experiences? And if you you know you boil them down, you try to reduce them to what they all have in common. And there are a few things that they have in common. One, there is a God, and He's not me. Okay. Secondly, uh, because of that, I'm not alone. There is someone other than me. Uh, secondly, or thirdly, excuse me, uh, we are alienated from this other. Uh, some barrier. And, and people disagree about what that barrier is. For some people, it's our finitude. We're small. Other people in the Christian tradition is that that barrier is sin. It's a moral barrier. For some people, it's ignorance that keeps us from knowing this other. Uh, the, the Southeast Asian religions uh, focus on ignorance uh, as some, what keeps us from uh, knowing this other. Uh, another thing they have in common is that there's something we can do about that. There's some way to dismantle that barrier. Uh, you know, that whether you believe in grace or not, there's still this impulse you know, to, to somehow break down this barrier between me and this entity, this other, this principle uh, called God. And then the last thing that they have in common is that when one encounters and sees this God or experiences this intelligence or grasps this principle, uh, something happens inside of them that changes them. There's a, a new creative moral and spiritual resources are turned loose within us, and we experience a reorientation to life. There's a renewal, a personal renewal. Uh, in the Christian tradition, there's clearly what we call repentance, a turning from our sin, turning from our rebellion. There's a surrender that we make, and we turn to God. And behavioral change flows out of this experience. There's also, uh, you might say, the broadening of one's heart. Love becomes uh, more real. Now, to me, this is it's fascinating to see this, and it's also made me really confident to talk about spiritual matters with people who may not consider themselves, quote, religious. And I think of uh, let me just pivot a bit here. 
we all have a dream project that we'd like to participate in, or at least I do. Uh, ever since I was in last two years of uh, undergraduate work, I thought it, I was really impressed with Kenneth Clark's Civilization series that uh, PBS was airing at that time. It was a kind of a history of art. But it, it throughout it, there's Clark is, I mean, chapter three, for instance, focuses in on St. Francis of Assisi. So there's spiritual and religious elements that run through Kenneth Clark's Civilization series. That led uh, Francis Schaeffer, the evangelical apologist and uh, evangelist and thinker, to come up with his series called How Should We Then Live? Uh, on the Catholic side of it, uh, Father Robert Barron, now Bishop Barron, loved the uh, Kenneth Clark Civilization too, and actually went on to do his series Catholicism uh, in a way of, of kind of a pitch of gratitude for Kenneth Clark's uh, work. And I still think this is a project I'd uh, love to be a, a part of sometime because I honestly believe that uh, Lord God, uh, the covenantal God, has been telling a story not only on the pages of Scripture, uh, right on through to the New Covenant, but through the, through the you might say, the pages of church history, uh, which I don't see as separate from world history. Um, the Holy Spirit is at work uh, among the people of God in order to bear witness to the kingdom of God for those who are outside of the kingdom. That's what we do. But I do think it's interesting that Clark, who was a— Complex man in a lot of ways, a bit of a dandy. Um, you know, uh, he's people, friends of his, say he was an incredibly faithful husband, but he wasn't. I mean, he was an adulterer too, a serial adulterer. But he remained quote faithful to his wife. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't get that. But uh, that's one of the contradictions that run through his life. Um, you know, he had this high-minded view of the arts, but also he was in charge of making a popular presentation. And it also turns out that there's reason to believe that uh, he came into full communion with the Catholic Church. There's a story that was circulating a long time ago, and this leads me back to religious experience and why it's important to be sensitive, to be uh, interested in experiences that people have, even if they are not, quote, orthodox for us. Doctrine must be orthodox, right? Experience can be messy. Um, but you go, Clark said he was, I believe he was in a particular Gothic cathedral, and some something uh, was going on inside of him while he was there, and he had this strong sense uh, that this whole world that was mediated to him through the beauty of this cathedral, that was a world that might well be true. And it struck him as true. And he also had an opportunity, he mentions, of making a change in his life at that point and spending his life serving that new vision of reality. And at that time, he didn't take it. He said he had too much, too much cost to his life. Too much change would be required. Later... The story's sent around, and it's in um, James Thornton's uh, biography of Clark, uh, called Kenneth Clark, Life, Art, and Civilization, that uh, Clark appears to have converted on his deathbed and received the Blessed Sacrament uh, from a priest. So 
it only God knows the relationship between that insight in the Gothic cathedral and what he thought on his deathbed.